You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. We're all familiar with the opening stories of Sefer Dvarim, particularly I'm looking at the story of the Miraglim as it's represented by Moshe. In the source sheet, right, there are a bunch of questions that uh, may or may not be familiar to you, all of which Moshe reports in a very different way than what we have in Sefer B'midbar. The first is the origins of the, meet, of the mission. Is it from God, as in uh, Parsha Shlach? Is it from the Jewish people? Right, so that's the first question. Um, the second one, is, which we're going to spend a little more time on, what are the, who are the spies that, Moshe, that Moshe is reporting about, who he says, right, in Pasuk Chafhei, um, the spies, according to Moshe, said one thing, that the land is good that God gave to us. That's all they said. At least that was the only thing that was important to report, which prompts Rashi to think that he's talking about Kalav and Yeshua. Most of the Farshim disagree. We'll get back to that in a minute, just to get through the other... Um, issues that come up, so we have um, also scrolling down the people's complaints, which are reported very differently in the two books, and then who spoke to encourage the people? Was it Kalev and Yoshua, or was it Moshe Rabbeinu himself? Again, the, in the original story, we think it's Kalev and Yoshua. In, uh, in our story, we understand it to be, in Sefer Dvarim, we understand it to be Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay, before we focus on two of these questions, very briefly, um, let me sort of introduce Sefer Dvarim, because this really is about Sefer Dvarim as a whole, not just this particular section or this particular parsha. Um, there's a whole discussion as to what Moshe's role is in Sefer Dvarim. As we'll see in Ramban, and Ramban speaks about this in his introduction, um, we're going to work with, this, with the assumption that I think is popular among many Mephorshim, the Ran in Megillah uh, formulates it the best. You can look uh, in my book in the first well, the introduction, I speak about this as well. But essentially what the Ran says is that Moshe decides what to write in Sefer Devarim, and Akash Baruch Hu gives him Haskama. Akash Baruch Hu says, yeah, that's good write it down, and make it part of my Torah. We'll see why that is an approach that's going to work with the various uh, Mepharshim, whereas the idea that God dictated this to Moshe, um, which is generally not understood to be the case, it, it would be more difficult. So let's, let's just um, focus quickly. Again, we're, we're, we're in a rush here tonight, uh, trying to respect people's time. Uh, maybe next time we'll, we'll uh, based on feedback, we'll give a longer presentation. But in any case, the, the, the first question I want to focus on is, um, what did the spies say? Again, I'm going to assume, not like Rashi, like most of the Mepharshim, that the spies we're talking about are the ten spies that gave a negative report. Right? So how can Moshe, the question that everybody asks, and we're not going to see the Malbim here, but take a look afterwards in the source sheet what the Malbim says, a very ingenious answer. I'm writing about it in uh, this week's Dvar Torah. If you're getting that on Thursday, you'll see it then. 
But in any case, uh, the, the question that everybody's trying to answer is how could Moshe say they gave a good report? How can you say that the land is good? That, and that's all they said. So Ramban um, gives an answer which has problems to it. But the reason I want to focus on the Ramban, you'll see in a minute. So if you have the source sheet, scroll down to the Ramban, and then go to the place where it's uh, underlined. I don't see any underlinings here, so um, apparently the underlinings didn't make it. Um, but it's towards the end of the, or the middle of the bold face uh, in the Ramban. It was, sorry? Is that the words? Then when? Oh, I'm looking at the. Oh, I I uh, I was looking at the uh, the Hebrew. That's, that's <laughs> I was looking line. at the Hebrew. Ve'achechen, um, which is yeah, and when essentially. Ve'achechen berotam ki yoshev v'kalev yachzekuet libam l'milchama. He's talking about the scouts, and the Ramban says that after the scouts, the spies uh, saw that Yoshev uh, and Kalev were able to strengthen the people's hearts to actually go through with their mission. Right? This is difficult for, for, for a variety of reasons, but, but the thing I want to boil out of the Ramban is that what he's saying is that Moshe didn't see the whole picture. Right? This goes back to my introduction about this being Moshe's words, and not being the words from an omniscient narrator. In other words, God, as the omniscient narrator, sees everything. He sees what the Miraglim are saying, what the spies are saying, whether they're in front of him or not. Moshe only sees and hears what's in front of him. Says the Ramban, this report is problematic, is lacking, not because Moshe is trying to fool anyone, but this was Moshe's impression. This is all he saw. In other words, Moshe is giving a personal human and therefore partial perspective in his report. Right? God, um, we'll, we'll get back to later, nevertheless approves of Moshe's word and allows them or d- demands that they be kept as they were. As far as the report in Bemidbar, you're going to ask me, well, did Moshe read, read B'midbar? Right, we, we read B'midbar. Why didn't Moshe read B'midbar? The answer is that probably not. Not at this point in time. Right? This is recording the speech. Right? The, the idea, yeah, there's a machlok in the Gemara, how the Torah was given, uh, whether it was given different uh, uh, blocks of, of, uh, of, of uh, text, or that it was given all at the same time. Presumably this would work better with the idea that it was given all at one time meaning at the very end, at the very end of everything, which is presumably after this speech. So Moshe wasn't privy to Sefer B'midbar to get God's eyes perspective. Okay, so that is interesting. Again, not in terms of resolving this issue, the Malbim resolves it in a more interesting way. Um, You'll take a look at at another time. Um, But more in terms of what the Ramban sees as the way to understand the discrepancy between B'midbar and Dvarim. B'midbar is a more correct, omniscient version. 
Devarim is Moshe's human perspective. It's a partial perspective because it's coming from Moshe Rabbeinu, as great as he was, obviously he's not God, and therefore uh, he's only going to see a partial perspective. Now, the next uh, section, the next question I want to engage with, again, more for the answer than for the question, is who spoke to encourage the people? Again, in Sefer Bamidbar, it's clear Moshe doesn't say a word, right? In fact, the Barbanel asked about it, what happened, his... Uh, his tongue stuck to his, his, cleaved to his roof, the roof of his mouth, right? Moshe, who uh, spoke so much in, in Parshat Shalach, is unusually quiet. He says nothing. As a result, Kalev and Yeshua come to the plate and speak uh, instead of him, right? Not only at the beginning of the story, but later on also, where uh, Moshe and Aaron fall on their faces, and uh, Yeshua and Kalev speak to defend the mission, um, here also, in Sefer Dvarim, Moshe doesn't mention Kalev and Yeshua. He says he spoke, right? How do you resolve that? So there are several answers listed on the source sheet. But I want to look at the, the Sror HaMor, um, the final source in the group of sources, where he says as follows. Uh, again, look in the bold, only in the bold part of that, if you have it in front of you. If you don't, I'll read it again in Hebrew and we'll translate since it was after all, Kalev and Yeshua gave this important message very similar to what Moshe is saying that he said, Chashav Moshe Moshe it figured that it, here is saying that his students is like himself, that a shaliach, that someone who is someone's emissary, even if it's an emissary that wasn't necessarily explicitly sent, is as if he's speaking for that person, right, and that, that person is speaking themselves. We'll get back to this for our more because he opens up the most interesting um, avenue with which to look at Sefer Dvarim, at least in my uh, opinion. Um, I want to, before we, we move back to the Sefer more, moving very fast down the source sheet and going to the Abarbanel. The Abarbanel presents an overall way to understand these sources and really a third approach, right? Really, I'm going to call this the second approach. We use the Ramban's approach as the first that Dvarim is spoken from Moshe, who has a partial human vision. The Abarbanel, in, in a nutshell, maybe we'll look at the English just to make it easier, um, here in this case. Oh, I don't have English. Um, <laughs> okay, I don't know what's going on with the source sheet, but I don't have English. In any case, um, the, he says in, in boldface, what's the reason for all the changes, for all the alterations in the narrative? So the Barbanel, going down further and further. Says 
the Abarbanel, that yeah, Moshe changed the facts, right? Dif- very different from the Ramban, and different than the Tzorah Amor, the, uh, the Abarbanel is saying that Moshe had a job to do, and that job was to convince the new generation that he's speaking to, to go into the land. And therefore, he needed to change certain facts. Says the Abarbanel, uh, if you skip all the way down to the last few words in, uh, in bold, uh, right, that, that uh, it's permissible to change the truth, to alter the truth, in other words, to lie for the sake of peace, right? Here, the uh, Barbanel is expanding that idea, presumably in a legitimate way, that truth is not always the most important variable. It's not always the uh, value that's going to make us decide whether we should tell the truth or not. Some things are more important than truth, right? Famous in Shulchan Aruch, that if uh, uh, you tell someone who's sick about a close relative who's dying, you don't tell them, right? Even to the point of changing the truth or, or meaning to lie, right? So truth is not always the cardinal virtue that decides everything. And so says the Barbanel is what happens in this situation. The Barbanel is saying Moshe made the right choice of changing the story. Right? So basically we have three approaches to uh, the differences between what we see in Bamidbar and we see in Dvarim what Moshe was doing according to the, uh, the Ramban, right? It's a partial vision. It's necessarily, anytime you have a human speak, they're going to give a partial perspective. And nevertheless, God felt that even though it wasn't completely correct, it was nevertheless appropriate to write it down as it was said. It was very well done, given the limitations of Moshe. It was important, the message was important, even if the report wasn't 100% true, but that was not Moshe trying to change them, but simply because of his being human. The second approach, meaning the third that we saw, is the Barbanel, that Moshe knew what happened, right? He saw the whole story, right? He didn't have to, but he happened to. It was an important story. Presumably the information would have gotten to him, and what Moshe does is he changes the facts. In other words, according to Barbanel, the discrepancy that we see is two different stories. You know, that we shouldn't try to resolve them because they're not resolvable. To do so, according to Barbanel, will be to twist the narrative. So what's going on? How can Moshe do that? The answer is that truth is not always the most important variable. The third approach was the Tzor Amor. The Tzor Amor says that, in fact, Moshe is telling the truth from a certain perspective, right? Is it possible to say that Moshe spoke even though it was literally Kalev and Yeshua? Yes, it is possible to say that. People describe things in different ways all the time, right? A shaliach, as we said before, a person's emissary can be viewed as the person themselves. In fact, uh, some of the Mefarshim, I think the Bechor Shor, take that approach with uh, Yaakov when he says that he's Esav, he's coming as Esav's emissary, and that's why he can say, I am Esav. I think the Bechor Shor defends that by saying, 
that sometimes we have in the, in the Torah that a malach, that an angel is speaking for God and saying, I'm God, rep- representing God as if God himself is speaking. And so therefore, that's one way the, 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 the uh, Surah Amor is opening one avenue in one specific example for us to see that perspectives um, can be mutual perspective that seem to be contradictory, right, as these two stories, right, where it can either be Moshe speaking or Kalev speaking, can in fact be both of them speaking depending on the perspective. Okay, and that's where I come to postmodernism. Right, this sounds almost postmodernism. I, I call it a proto-postmodernist reading in the source sheet, right? Um, and from a technical point of view, this at best is soft postmodernism, uh, more hard postmodernism, or what most people associate with postmodernism is the notion that what uh, Robert Rorty says that it's words all the way down, that people's conceptions of truths are always uh, words, ultimately, and have no uh, ultimate correspondence to any objective truth. And certainly when we're dealing with history, history which by nature is subjective in the sense that uh, you can't possibly describe every single thing that happened in all of its details. So therefore will necessarily going to be selective based on our understanding of the most important variables in a particular story. So if one takes such an approach, right, not, not the approach that I mentioned Rorty, the, the, the extremist approach of postmodernism, but uh, someone who is not necessarily my favorite philosopher, I mean, most Jews will, for good reason, have negative associations with Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, nonetheless, um, brings certain ideas in terms of epistemology, in terms of how do we know what's true, that uh, not only uh, work well with this, but work well with the last quote on the source sheet, which is that from Rav Kook. Before I get to those three and then open it up for questions, um, I just want to mention that uh, we looked at Mefarshim, we didn't look at anything that Chazal, that the rabbis in, in the Talmud or Midrash had to say about this section. Um, it appears that the rabbis didn't have problems with it. I didn't see, and I, I can't claim to know all of rabbinic literature, but a quick perusal didn't bring up anything that uh, most of the Mephorshim, I, I just selected a few, but many, many of the classical Mephorshim are dealing with these issues. In fact, I would say most of the classical Mephorshim are dealing with the discrepancy between these two stories. Uh, the fact that Chazal don't seem to, or if they do in a very minimal way, right, uh, as opposed to Zachor Shamor, where they do relate to it for, for a variety of reasons which we don't have time to touch, but here in this story, Chazal don't seem to be bothered by the discrepancies. Why not? So whatever approach you want to take, Chazal, I think, are willing to accept the notion of differing narratives, what I call narrative pluralism, and they're willing to do that based on the idea, similar to the Barbanel, though not necessarily with the understanding that uh, someone has lied here or someone has altered the truth. 
but based on the same premise that speech has to be directed to who you're speaking to and what you want to get accomplished, which is what Moshe does. If you look further in the Barbanel uh, after the Shior, you can see how he spells that out. Okay, I want to get to questions and answers, so I'm just going to skip uh, to the last two sources. The, this is a famous quote, this is the second quote, Nietzsche, a very famous quote, uh, who says that everything is a perspective scene. Right? He speaks about this in, in terms of science as well, or seemingly so. And he, say, and he says, the more effects we allow to speak about one thing, the more eyes, different eyes we can use to observe one thing, the more complete will our concept of this thing, our objectivity, be. Right? For Nietzsche here, um, the more different visions we present, the more we're enriched. And, and, and indeed, uh, Rav Kuk, who may or may not have been influenced by Nietzsche, uh, has something very similar to say um, in Olat Hariah, his, his uh, Sidur, uh, even things that appear contradictory only via, via the gathering of all the parts and all the elements and all opinions that appear to differ, only through them will the light of truth appear. The truth will come out by encouraging the voice of many different perspectives. Okay, we're beyond my time. I've taken... Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.